Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. So I'm looking up to make sure I've got your name spelled right before you're coming over. And I realized that in my little Google contacts... Under company name for you, I've got F-U-F-C. <laughs> Our soccer team. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's great. For that, how long did we play soccer together? Oh, shit. It's um, got to be a decade or close. Oh, yeah. I mean, I started uh, I started playing indoor with all the English guys yeah. up north. Is that when you joined no, us? No, I was, I was later on. You guys were a well-oiled machine by the time. Really? I, uh, uh, and where did just refresh me? Where did we start playing soccer up north? No, uh, at on uh, oh, down off on Evans. Uh, on Evans, yeah. Uh, where you started that, right? No, no. no Scouts. I eventually that. like took over sending out the email to see who was going to oh, show really? up. But I, I was far I mean, from the first. You became the secretary. Well, so so we had a rename. Do you remember that we had a rename over beers? We had to sit in the bar and argue over what the new name was going to be, and we were so mad at each other after we'd argued about the name that everyone was just "fuck you" and "fuck you," and so we ended up calling the team FUFC, which oh, that's technically, right. no, that's right. in case one of our kids or or. You know, somebody proper would ask. The official name was Fun United Football Club. Yeah. I don't know if you even remember yeah. that. I don't, but the shirts or whatever the team uh, registration yeah, yeah. was, FUFC. Oh, and no. We got a big well, chuckle. That's out of that. got to be. That's got. A, it is quite a few years ago. It's it was probably a decade ago. But it always brings a smile to my face when I see that name. So when I was, like I said, when I was making sure I, I had I, your last name spelled right. Right. I, well, I totally forgot about that name. Now you English guys. Now you've already heard me drop an f bomb, and I want you to feel comfortable doing that. But oh, you okay. English guys, you think the c word's okay? You know, and you know it's not it's in the ter- Well, I mean, it's a ter- it's a terrible word to use, that's for sure. <laughs> but in England, you're right. You use it for you call your mate a silly one. Yeah, you know, you silly. Yeah, you know, um, well, yeah, it's very, uh, it's it's not that offensive. Well, I want you to feel comfortable saying whatever you want, right up to and, and right. before well, the c word. I'll make sure I should keep the c word out of it. Before we introduce our guest, you guys are going to get to know our guest before I even introduce him. Mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead and take our listener question. Uh, and just as a reminder to our listeners, if you would like to send in a listener question, please send that to Matt at soberandunashamed.com. And again, we you won't get a clinical answer. We are not psychologists or therapists, but we've got a lot of lived experience and we've dealt, dealt with and, and talked with and learned the stories of lots and lots of people at this point. So we can share uh, our reaction to your, your question, but it won't be a clinical, technical answer. So if you're looking for that, going to have to ask your question somewhere else, which I think is an important caveat to put on this particular question because it is a little bit clinical, technical. It could be viewed that way. But so he, so why don't I stop with the preamble and just ask the question? Sherry's already rolling her eyes at me. It didn't take long on this episode. The question is, what does end-stage alcoholism look like? There was a, It was actually a several-paragraph question the person who sent it in, we appreciate your vulnerability and and sharing your story the way you did. Uh, a sad story, as is often the case. But um, so we'll just kind of go around. Graham, we want you to feel comfortable chiming in on this listener question as well. 
Um, Cherry, do you want to offer any thoughts? Luckily, it's not something that we experienced ourselves, right? Yeah, I mean, my brother-in-law was pretty close for yeah, many years. That's true. And so that distended belly, gaunt, yellowish sort of skin is always what I thought. But we've heard, we've heard of some cases that I didn't even think about. Like, I always thought... The brain was messed up because of just the alcohol, you know, just being drunk. But it actually is being poisoned. So, um, yeah. like, there would be lots of missteps in his speech. And yeah. yeah. Did he ever get to the point where he couldn't go without alcohol? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, the last couple of years he lived with my sister before they got divorced, he was pretty much drinking all day long. One of the things that's interesting about alcohol, when you compare it to what other people call hard drugs, right? Heroin, uh, methamphetamine, things like that. Alcohol is the one that can kill you if you withdraw rapidly. Quickly, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that doesn't happen with, with the hard drugs, the ones we're afraid of. So alcohol, in that sense, is the most deadly uh, of the drugs. And so, yeah, when I think of end-stage alcoholism, I think of the, the tremors. You've got to get up at, you know, you wake up at four in the morning and you've got to get to your bottle of vodka or, you know, bad things can happen. Seizures is is the, the thing yeah. that we get. You know, and, and when I start working with someone for the first time who has consumed alcohol abusively, one of the things I always say is, are you under medical care? Because I don't want to get to know you and have you stop drinking suddenly and have you not understand the medical mm. ramifications right. of that and basically die of a seizure? Because some people can be, you know, physically, physically dependent on it and still be maintaining pretty normal average life yeah. that you don't want them to quit because they probably don't know. I wasn't aware until we were well into this work that alcohol was the only drug that you could go into your own at-home detox and die from. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah, there's definitely. I had a client um, who, you know, super heavy drinker, mm -hmm. and um, I, I mean, I told him I'm not qualified to um, help you. I was helping him with his nutrition too, but I said I'm not qualified to tell you, you know, how to stop drinking. You know, you need to go get some professional help, and he opted not to go to rehab. And he ended up going into some type of IV treatment. Mm. Yeah, I did. I assume you know a lot about yeah, that. Uh, not a lot, a little. Yeah. yeah. And um, actually, I spoke with him a couple of days ago. I mean, we parted ways a long time ago, but he's celebrating his one year clean sober. That's great. Yeah. You know, that, that is, that's great. There are so many yeah. different paths to recovery and sobriety, and it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, so... I'm glad he found something that worked for him. That's mm -hmm. great. You know, other things that are often associated with end-stage alcoholism, not eating. Uh, you know, obviously there's a variety of liver problems. One of the ways that that presents is, you know, the jaundice, uh, the yellowing eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I've learned about since we've been doing this, there are a couple of different types of, and, and here's where I'm going to get, oh. you know, over my skis and talk mm -hmm. about something I probably shouldn't. But uh, several, a couple of different types of encephalopathy, which this is fascinating to me. This is when your liver has gotten to the point where it can't process the toxins appropriately and it's sending ammonia to your brain. And so you're basically poisoning your own brain because your liver's shot. 
it's it's not mm-hmm. able to serve as the filter. Well, that's where the Joneses come from, the yeah. damaging of the liver, yeah. Absolutely. But other things we've heard of, you know, paranoia, other lots of different kinds of organ failure. We talk sometimes, I'm a big movie buff, I like watching movies, and I've got my favorite movies that are related to alcoholism. Um, you know, the one that I think of when I think of end-stage alcoholism is leaving Las Vegas. Um, that's not something I can relate to at all wanting to kill yourself with overconsumption. Um, but if, you know, I'm more of a when a man loves a woman kind of a guy when it comes mm-hmm. to movies yeah, <laughs> and in life. Um, but, yeah, that, w- that would be a media depiction of end-stage alcoholism. Super, super sad. Um, you know, the, the question from the listener also went on to say, you know, what can I do? I mean, at that point, I think it's a, a purely medical Situation. I mean, we need uh, inpatient detox. This isn't a matter of going to AA meetings. All right. uh, your your physical health uh, needs serious, serious medical attention, and it's not a matter of what as the spouse you can do. You know, should I beg them to go to meetings? Should I uh, ultimatum them into going like that? That it's beyond that. I think. Well, and I think that I don't know about different states, but this might even be an option as you call well check on your own spouse even though they're in your house i mean there can be points where they are not medically sound enough to make their own decisions so you could take over if it is that bad i know um my sister had talked about that at at some point and then actually did you know she had to call the police on her husband Mm. and they made him go and go into a detox and get checked out and you know a medical and psychiatric evaluation at one point after a terrible incident. So those things can be done. It's not, it's, you know. Well, I was still an active alcohol alcoholic when I was around him and he scared me. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's a mouthful, I think for Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So those are, I think those are your, like would be some of the best ways to, to seek help if they're not wanting to get help. Yeah. And you know that it's, that it could be life or death, because it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> let's introduce our guest, my good friend, Sherry and I, both of our good friend, for as we've said now, well over a decade, uh, Graham Holly, who is a certified health and wellness coach, and his Instagram handle is Simply Health Conscious. And that's where I want to start, Graham. The reason we're sitting here is because... I've known that you've been a health and wellness coach. You've been pursuing this for a couple of years now, a few years now. Three, three and a half, yeah. But I, but you started producing these videos, and they are fantastic. Oh, and and you. let me just say why I think they're fantastic. First of all, they're brief and they're to the point. The production quality is great. You've got experience in video, so it clearly shows that you know what you're doing. But you you look great you look like you know what you're talking about if i didn't know you knew what you're talking about i'd be convinced uh maybe it's the british accent i don't know <laughs> but they're also much smarter than us but they're they're quick they're to the point you come away with a handful of good tips actionable tips that you can go and implement in your life mm-hmm. and you don't have to watch for a half an hour and take notes and Right. Do all this rigmarole. Well, yeah, was that I mean, the idea when you well, started yeah, the videos? idea is um, to keep it short, and you can only get so much over in. I make them a minute, always under a minute, and I just try and plug away of 
you know, we're living in a country which is number one in lifestyle disease deaths, mm. lifestyle disease prevalence. You know, it's to say, I mean, it's known worldwide as the unhealthiest country on the planet. Mm. And there's a reason for that. Now, it's not just America dealing with these lifestyle epidemics. You know, every pretty much every other industrial nation is dealing with lifestyle disease epidemics. And we'll get into what are lifestyles later. Um, but with prosperity, with wealth, comes the ability to make bad lifestyle decisions, right? That get mm -hmm. us into these lifestyle Well, diseases. yeah, I think people are making uh, the bad lifestyle choices for, well, I mean, you can talk, I mean, smoking. Yeah. You know, if you look at lifestyle, you've got smoking, alcohol, nutrition, and the lack of exercise. Yeah, yeah. Is you just aim it at food... Uh, you go in the supermarket, I mean, you're inundated with this uh, uh, processed food. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not real food, it's That's processed. Right. You know, it's got too much unhealthy fats, too much sugar, too much sodium, uh, chemicals and hazardous chemicals. You know, America uses um, chemicals in foods. What are banned in mm. the rest of the world? Mm. And, and this is what affects, this is what people, there's no education on it. So people go, oh, I've got this fast food here, I'll have this fast food. You go down the supermarket, you go, they go down all the, oh, throw a bit of the, oh, we love these last week, let's get some of those in. You know, the kids, everything's at kids' heights, and they go, oh, can I have some of them there with Superman on the front? Uh, and, I mean, it's atrocious. Yeah. It's atrocious, and... Um, and I, I, I kind of got into this by default, and um how did you choose these this length of videos though like sherry and i are what you'd call long form i mean i write 1500 word blogs and we record hour-long podcasts like you got to sit down and be committed if you're going to learn anything from us right mm -hmm. how did you decide i want to get in and out i want these quick hitters well i've been following uh i mean for years now i've been following uh doctors uh you know, cardiologists and doctors uh, primarily who have left the conventional medical system and have moved into what's called functional medicine. Yeah, yeah, Functional yeah. medicine is where when there's something wrong with you, they get to the root cause of it. Mm -hmm. It might initially put you on, you know, high blood pressure medication, high lipid medication, type 2 diabetes, but they get to the root cause to get you off the medication to make you well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've been following these doctors for years and, well, they all seem to do these, you know, one minute, one minute, uh, minute and a half videos. So I'm somewhat emulating the, 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 the people I follow. Well, you do a really good job of assimilating the information that you've gathered and sharing it in. Not, it's not just good because it's bite size. It's, like I said, the production quality. You're a good-looking guy. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I can't even put on a different shirt when we go on one one video to another one uh, between because I'm not smart enough to do that. But you've got your scene in the background change. Like, it just well, looks good. Well, you know, what, like you said, I've got my video. I mean, I used to shoot a video, and uh, I do some photography. I don't do much now, but I spent years doing photography. So I understand lighting. Yeah. And that really is all what is, if you've got the right lighting, you're going to look terrible. You get me outside that lighting, and uh, you see all my flaws. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing that isn't a flaw. The real reason we're here, we brought you over under the premise of talking about health and wellness. But what we really want to do is we want to introduce 
to our audience the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> the guy yes. that started the whole resentment processing process. I know I shouldn't use he those words back to back. He's probably thinking, what is he For Sherry about? and I, well, I told him on the phone. I was okay. Talking about this. okay. But you don't know how much of an impact it has. You don't have any idea what an impact you've made on our lives. When we played footy together, football together, soccer for our American audience, um, you talked to me one night about in relationship, in romantic relationship, it's important to not let resentments build up. And I think you even talked about like bricks, bricks in yeah, a wall. Right, right, yeah. And, and how you had this system going with your with your partner where you would on a weekly basis address any resentments that had built up and it could be small stuff like leaving the toilet seat up or mm-hmm. not unloading the dishwasher when you said you were going to. Yeah, just little yeah. stuff. But if you talk about it and address it, mm-hmm. then it can't build up and you can't Put all these bricks in the wall. So now, mm. in my calendar, Sherry and I, we've talked for for years now about how important this resentment processing is, especially when it comes mm. to alcoholism recovery for the relationship. Now, y- you did it just because you're a good human and you want your relationship to thrive. Um, it wasn't necessarily a recovery process, but it's been a huge part of our recovery mm. process and what we pitch to other people. And we, we say... Uh, you need to make an appointment with each other. <laughs> Put it in your calendar. Don't blow it off. Treat it with yeah. respect. So well, my, my calendar uh, invite, my calendar entry always says bricks. Oh, well, because I think of you talking about <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, well, it is true, right? I yeah. mean, if, look, relationships, you know, they shouldn't be hard, you know. Boy, we uh, make them hard. We do. We make them hard. And I think a lot of how we make them hard is... The, by these resentments. If your partner's doing something constantly and you're building resentments up, I like, yeah, like the bricks in the wall, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, uh, the wall is knee high. Yeah. And then it gets up to waist high. Yeah. And then it gets up to chest high and you're both like going, oh, what are you looking at? Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? And then, so, and it's hard to, when the higher that wall gets, it's hard to take down. Yeah. I mean, look, that wall's going to be there up to your ankles, you know, constantly. Yeah. But if you communicate and you talk, um, you know, I, I, I mean, yeah. Well, we talk about it all the time. We talk about the importance of these weekly meetings. And so now our listeners know who to blame if you're sick of hearing us talk about the <laughs> weekly meeting. If it wasn't for Graham, we wouldn't even understand the just, concept. Just one extra note to that. It's, look, relationships, if you don't, if you don't have intentions to keep them healthy, mm-hmm. they can soon drift away. Yeah, no question. They can soon drift away. No question. Well, and I like that, that there's an intention. Even... Even when Matt was drinking and things were not going well, we still had these conversations. I wouldn't say they were always fantastic, but they were somewhat productive, and I felt like it kept the door open for communication. Yeah. Now, you know, who knows where some of them could have probably not happened, and we would have probably been better. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of defensiveness, but we, we continued that yeah, you you talked about well, it that night after the soccer game, and we started doing it. And well, and this concept of intention, 
actually the rest of what we're going to talk about is about you have to set intentions whether it's relationship or your own your right. own health and lifestyle right and at least have a goal that you're aiming for i want to know how did you get into this you mentioned that you've been listening to functional medicine doctors you've been mm-hmm. you've been gathering information on this but how did you get into health coaching? How did you decide this was the direction well, I, you wanted to go? I got into it really, absolutely by default. Okay. Um, in 2003, at the age of 67, my father was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And in 2006, at 47, my brother was also diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And... It got to, you know, I'd go home, I think it was about maybe six years ago, I went home and um, stayed with my dad and he had a doctor's appointment, I took him down, the doctor was in there and and my dad was, I could see his health had deteriorated the last ten years, he mm-hmm. actually passed away uh, last April, mm-hmm. and um, but for the ten years prior to that, you could slowly see the decline, and by the time I had taken him to the doctors, uh, give or take, about six years ago, you know, to help him off the couch, and you know, he'd wobble to the, shuffle to the car, he was still driving then, and, uh, and then the doctor went... Um, doctor examined him and the doctor left the room and I followed the doctor out, I told my dad, I said, oh, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, you know, I followed the doctor out. I said, can you spare a, a little bit of time to talk about my dad because I don't live in the UK and I can see his health declining. And he had his report in his hand and he went, well, your dad's got, you know, uh, anemia, stage four kidney damage, he's got, uh, you know, he's had a heart attack and... He had seven chronic illnesses, mm. all through type 2 diabetes. Well, even at that time, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that type 2 diabetes. I didn't really give it too much thought. And then about three and a half years ago, my uh, I got a call saying that my brother um, uh, had been admitted to hospital. First of all, I'd like to just preface this with uh, my brother's given me permission to talk about Okay, great. He got rushed to hospital. Uh, he thought he was having another heart attack. I said, my brother's had a heart attack. <clears throat> and he ended up being diagnosed with bleeding ulcers in his stomach. So this got me to think. And then he started to lose his eyesight. Mm. You know, which is now he's lost about 70% of it. Wow. Uh, so he's lost 70% of his eyesight. He's had bleeding ulcers in his stomach and a heart attack. Uh, my dad's got seven chronic illnesses. Uh... And he's, I can see his altitude, all through type 2 diabetes. So I'm like, wow, is it hereditary? You yeah. know? I said, I knew nothing about health, really. And so as I started to do some research, I quickly discovered it's a lifestyle disease. Mm. I mean, they don't call it the processed food disease for nothing. Yeah. And then as I did further studying, I'm like, oh, wow, high blood pressure. It's a lifestyle disease. Mm-hmm. Type 2 diabetes, lifestyle disease. Cardiovascular heart disease, uh, that's, that's lifestyle disease. Mm-hmm. Dementia, now, uh, they're calling now dementia type 3 diabetes. Mm. It's lifestyle. You know, autoimmune comes from lifestyle. So you must be finding some personal relief knowing it's not hereditary. hereditary. Well, that's exactly sadness what I did. because 
these loved ones are going down this path and it was preventable. It, well, and that's the thing. So what really has got me into this was doing that research and realizing that all these diseases people seem to have, obesity, midriff and chronic obesity, uh, cardiovascular heart disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, kidney, liver disease, all these, gout, irritable bowel syndrome, GERDs. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. At the time, I thought, wow, I better do something about my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, so I started to tidy my own lifestyle up. And I just got uh, infatuated with one like uh, how the human body works and how you can prevent lifestyle diseases. Not only can you prevent lifestyle diseases... 99 times out of 9, they are reversible. Mm -hmm. And I, it just led me down this path, and I'm like, I saw this course, your six-month course to become a certified health and wellness coach, and I wasn't really thinking uh, to really be a health and wellness coach. It was more, oh, I'll get some good information. Yeah, you learn a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot. And then when I got certified, well, then I was in it deep. I was, yeah. I'd already dove in the water. Well, your passion for it is evident, not just in the videos you make, but in our conversations. We still have our annual Thanksgiving morning soccer match. No, oh, that's and, a lot uh, of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Every time we play, we, we, the, this subject comes up, and I can just use light up when, yeah. you, when you talk about this well, stuff. It, and so you I, found a passion, well, for sure. I have. I've found a new passion in life, uh, and it's primarily the satisfaction. I've never had job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. When uh, I've never really, I'm not can't say I've been a selfish person, but I don't really cared about other people, yeah. you know. And to see people who were struggling with weight and uh, chronic diseases, and then uh, uh, x amount of months or, or even a year down the road, they feel better. They're off the medication. Yeah. They look better. They feel better. And it's there's no need. Um, Again, so what, let me just carry on my story then with my father. Yeah. So I started to do this and then uh, my father uh, had an accident and fell, broke his hip. Now this was the start of his major decline. Sure. Um, when, then he was in, he, when he was in rehab and then he broke his other hip in rehab and then they sent him home, went back to the hospital, sent him back to rehab, sent him home, he fell and broke his shoulder, like, because his bones were getting brittle, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it was horrible to see his decline and all through the mismanagement of type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. He spent the last 10 years of his life in pain, suffering and the last three years it became housebound wow. couldn't leave the house we had to get him a shopper in a cleaner a bather and you know i'd go home and see him and he didn't even want to live yeah i've done with this i want out of here wow you know and then he ended up the last uh he, he became bed bound and then about three weeks after being bed-bound, he got admitted to hospital, started to develop, develop a blister on his foot, and which turned into gangrene. Mm. You know, so I had a chat with the doctor, called me, and I said, like, I hope you're not planning on doing anything. 
you know yeah. a man wants to die and just let him just let him go yeah. it's amazing how these you can't euthanize people yeah. and you have to go through all that pain and suffering uh, mm-hmm. so I can't imagine so yeah that something. and then and my brother you know he's lost 70% of his eyesight mm. and, uh, and and it affects you mentally when you're in that condition oh absolutely and this is again this is what this is why I say one of my mantras is what do you want your health to be like mm-hmm. in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Yeah. Because the lifestyle you lead now yeah. will show it's that a, lifestyle. Absolutely. I want, to, I want to come back to that. but So this is a progressive disease. If, if not treated, it is reversible, like you said. But if not, it's certain, just going mean, to... Excuse me, at a certain point. Not like at my dad's stage. Understood. Yeah, understood. Right. But it's something that you watched progress... Uh, you know, the, the progressive disease that we talk a lot about on this podcast is alcohol use dis- disorder. That's what I was suffering from, mm-hmm. another lifestyle disease. Now, y- you and I, we drank together for lots yeah, of years, but I, I'm not by any means saying that our stories mirror each other with alcohol, but you have a tale to tell about your alcohol consumption over the years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping you can share that with us. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think my alcohol started um, when I was like uh, 15. Uh, I don't know where we'd get these bottles of cider from, but me and all my mates, we'd get bottles of cider and we'd go in the park on an evening. <clears throat> and, um, and, and then... Back in those days in England, I come from Leeds as a blue-collar town. Uh, you left school at sixteen, and you got you went out and got a job, and I got a job in as apprentice carpenter. And so I'd already be, I was getting in pubs. At, uh, I wasn't even sixteen, and I was getting in pubs in England. Mm-hmm. Wow. So and I was hanging out with the type of people, and that's what we did. We were excited. We could get in pubs. Sure. Uh, after work, you're in the pub. Saturday, Sunday lunchtime, you're in the pub. And, um, you know, sometimes that would lead to all day drinking. You have a few. You know, the pub's closed. Uh, they opened at 12, uh, 11, I think, and closed at um, 2 o'clock. But then that you go to somebody's house and you drink, and then you'd be out Saturday night. So my life was all about socialising and drinking. Was there ever any fear? Like, I know when I was that age, I, I thought I was untouchable like I yeah. I didn't well I, didn't I mean picture the alcoholic in the gutter yeah. and think yeah. that's going to be me someday well exactly that was if you brought the word alcoholic up uh-huh. it was somebody who was homeless in the gutter yeah. with a brown paper bag right that was an alcoholic yeah. not just going out and drinking every night and drinking all day Saturday that you want an alcoholic so you're not ignoring the warnings time. there are oh, no, no warnings well no plus I mean England I think it still is. It's a, it's a, it's like Germany. It's a drinking nation. Right. It's all about the pub. You socialise in the pub, and the pubs are busy, and yeah. you know. Um, <clears throat> so that was it. Was that type of drinking for me? And then I got to, I think it was thirty five or thirty six. I used to get in some stage, and you know, I remember waking up in my uh, in my father's willow tree. I remember a friend said, "Hey, I woke you up in the bushes outside your dad's house," and uh, I mean, just horrible states. And I got to about thirty-six, and I'm like, uh, you know, my friends and my parents 
would say, you know, oh, you drink a lot, you came home last night, you're banging doors and you're playing music loud. You know, you don't think, do you? I mean, you're just oblivious to it yeah. all. And I got to 36 and I'm like, you know what, I do drink a lot. I'm going to try and stop this. So I did my best to stop it and then I dragged myself into AA. Mm. And I didn't drink for five years. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't... I didn't go to AA for five years. I went for a little while, and then I had a friend who kind of took me there. Uh, but AA really won't for me. I felt like it was just a load of people bragging how fucked up they used to get. Mm-hmm. You know, so it didn't. That it won't that won't work for me. And then I got to uh, five years. I'm like, what? Weddings, birthdays, Christmas. Never going to drink again. I said, okay. Well, here's what used to mess me up was drinking liquor mm-hmm. or shorts, as they called them in mm-hmm. England. You know. So I said, okay, I'll go back to drinking just beer. Mm-hmm. So I went back to drinking just beer. But, you know, before you're long, it, it, you're getting drunk on beer. There's mm-hmm. not much difference. Yeah. You, you, you're leading the same lifestyle. Uh, so then what happened? And then... Um, and I carried on like that through... Oh, yeah, I carried on like that through my 40s. And about... Uh, I was about 51, I think. I went out with a friend of mine in Denver here. I think it was New Year's Day. Uh, it was some holiday. And we met at 4.30. We thought, hey, we'll go out for an early drink. Mm-hmm. Now it's uh, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we're in some club. Mm-hmm. And for the last hour, I'd been having trouble urinating. Mm. Right? And I'm like, oh, what's going on? But I'm drunk. I'm still drinking. Sure. Having a great time. And then all I remember next was... Isn't, um, isn't that funny, though? Well, it, it won't come out the outdoor, but you're still putting it in the indoor. I'm still putting it in the Maybe I right, can sweat yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I remember going to the bathroom. It was one of them clubs where you, there's a guy inside giving you towels and some aftershave. Oh, oh hi, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, don't hi. mess around. You're a big roller. Oh, yeah, it was New Year's Day. So I remember being in there... And the guy knocked on the door, and he, I, I, I must have been in there a long time. He goes, you all right in there? I go, no, mate, I can't pee. He goes, oh, mate, it's something to do with your prostate. Mm. He said, you better get yourself to the hospital. Well, I'd left it that long. I couldn't even stand up. I was mm. in so much pain. Wow. So now we had to call for an ambulance. They carry me on a stretcher through this club, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I go, they took me to Denver Health, and I came out there with a catheter in. Mm. So now I'm going, well, I can't drink like that anymore. Yeah. So then I would limit myself uh, to, I can't remember, but let's say four pints. Okay. You know, four pints. And then I found I was getting in the same predicament with beer. Hmm. Going to the ER, coming out with a catheter, traumatic. Now, when this would happen, they see this sometimes, right? So they're not not the 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 ER docs. They're not shocked by this. They're not oh, like I mean, I won't flipping through the medical books and trying to figure oh, out what to no. do. Oh, no. Like, they've seen this before, so, right? So I'm not sure if this happens to everybody, but me is... Uh, it's quite common when men get in the 50s to have enlarged prostates. Sure. Um, and what happens is... So you, just a quick explanation. that There's your bladder. Right. And you have a, a, a urethra coming out your bladder... And to your penis, and that's how you urinate. Right. Well, just right underneath your bladder, touching your bladder, is your is your is your prostate. Right. It's about the size of a walnut. So for me, I was already on uh, uh, prostate medication then, 
because what it does is inflammation. Sure. Right? And what it does is, for me, when I drank alcohol, it got more inflamed and it trapped the urethra. Squeezed it shut. Yeah. So now they've got to force a catheter up there. Doesn't sound they, painful. Oh, it is absolutely horrendous. <laughs> a quick story here. The first, just... the first time I went for a catheter, it was horrendous, and I got home. And then two days later, three days later, I went back to have it taken out. And I'm sat there on the bed. The nurse came in, she says, have you ever had a catheter out before? I said, no, this is my first one. <laughs> She pulled that out like she was starting a lawnmower. <laughs> it was, br- I'd never felt a sensation like that. Wow. So, so again, because of the alcohol, I didn't want to give me alcohol because I was, you know, I used to like to drink. Yeah. <clears throat> so any other time I went for a catheter, well, the second time I went for a catheter, I googled on YouTube how to remove a catheter. Mm. And I'd always remove them myself then. Mm. So... And then I got to a point... And Self-starting the lawnmower. Uh, uh, yeah, right. well, I'd pull it out real slow. It was a gentle... Sherry, it I took me start. about 10 minutes to get it out. I know you've told me that childbirth is painful, but maybe later, after Graham's gone, we'll put a catheter in your penis and see if that oh. feels the same. I don't even Wouldn't have a penis, fun? and I'm, like, crossing and You are cringing. Wait, wait, wait. the thing. Even if you don't have a penis, you've got a I'm urethra. sure it still hurts. So you, yeah, go Yeah, but you there. don't need to go through Thank a prostate. You. Prostate you don't have. Um, okay, so... Again, because of the alcohol, I'm like, oh, man. I mean, I'd be honest, it was, it was, I won't say painful, but it was disturbing to me that I was having to cut my alcohol down. Yeah. It was like, fuck, I can't drink anymore. Yeah. You know, and then... You're I, fighting I, I had this bro- thing in your life. Right, that's exactly. causing you problems. I've been doing it since I was 15. Yeah, so I then get I, that. Right, so then I got to a point where I thought, okay, uh... All right, I cut the beer out because that's a lot of fluid. I'll be going to the bathroom more. Mm-hmm. Maybe that might help. So then I started to drink wine. Mm-hmm. The same thing. There was a time I remember when I met my partner Deb. Um, I could polish a bottle of wine off mm-hmm. a night, and most nights I drank, and I didn't think too much of it. In fact, I didn't think anything of it because that's what my habit was. And we'll get to talking about habits later, right? That's what my habit was. I didn't think any. And Deb's not a drinker. Uh, I'm looking back, I must have, you know, I'm sure I put her through hell there. Um, we have a tendency to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then I'm like, I remember once I had three glasses of wine and I'm back in the ER. I'm like, shit. So then I said, well, then I better knock it down to two, you know. <laughs> Just try and, and keep it in right, mind. Right, and then, away. then for the longest time, two didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the point, I'm like, and this is before I knew about the about really what alcohol is yeah. and what it does. Yeah. And then um, I'm like, well, I had two glasses of wine, and even sometimes I wanted a three, but I'm like, no, nope, you can't. Yeah. Well, you want to end up back in the hospital? Yeah. So, and then I got to a point where, yeah, well, it's kind of a waste of time now. Yeah. So I'd knock it down to one, and then I kind of, and then I stopped for the longest time. Um, and where I am now with alcohol is, um, one, I don't crave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't crave it. I don't think about it. Uh, so where I am now, you, you know, uh, Fridays uh, I go out with some uh, associates, you know, work associates, and um, 
the uh, Guinness make a great non-alcohol Guinness. Mm -hmm. It smells like Guinness. It looks like Guinness. It's it tastes like it. It's it's unbelievable. It's yeah, it's actually unbelievable. For chopping a can. For chopping a can. Yeah. So I I kind of started. Um, you know, I started drinking the non-alcoholic... Oh, let me just back up a bit. Uh, when all this was going on, of course, you know yourself, when you go play soccer, and I was playing three... I play soccer three times a week. After the game, you get the chairs out, the coolers come out, they're yeah. doing shots, they're doing this. So, for years now, I've just been drinking a non-alcohol Guinness or a non-alcohol IPA. They make some great non-alcohol IPA. And um, so I gravitated to that for the longest time. Where I am now is when I go out with the work associates, uh, sometimes I'll have a non-alcohol Guinness. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they don't have one of them, you know what? I'll have a real Guinness. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It don't faze me. I certainly don't want another one. Yeah. I have no inclination to say, well, you know what? I think I'll just have another one. I, I just, I know what alcohol is. I know what it does to the human body. Uh, you know, uh, one alcohol drink, your liver uh, will, will deal with that. You know, that's not really any detriment to your health. Mm -hmm. And um, and then uh, I think f f the biggest thing for me is like if I go out with all my English mates, uh -huh. there can be eight, nine, ten of us. Sure. You know, we go out and we would maybe twice, three times a year. Yeah. You know, maybe someone's birthday, or, uh, but we usually meet on a Friday night downtown and, you know, they're drinking. Oh yeah, I mean the drinking. Yeah, you, you know that's there. So, so therefore, yeah, I'll have a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or, or I'll choose to say, okay, that glass of wine ain't going to really affect me, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to have any more. So sometimes I'll go, I'll have a non-alcohol beer, mm -hmm. and I'll do an edible. Yeah, you know that gets me uh, not on their wavelength by any means, yeah. but it gets me, you know, where I'm. I can feel. I can party. Um, and then by the time I'm heading home, or every, that's worn off. And I don't get up in the morning with a hangover. I don't feel bad. And actually, when I walk out of... Uh, well, when I walk out of anywhere, like if I go to a barbecue, I'll take my non-alcohol Guinness. When I walk out of these places now, I pat myself on the back. I'm proud of myself. Yeah. Well, you should. You've, you have a tumultuous relationship with alcohol over the years. Yeah. And you've come up with... With a, a I mean, way I've, of managing I've, I've the I've learned to you. never say never, but I, I'll, I'll never get back to that. Yeah. I just, I know I will. You talked about how it's important for you that you know what alcohol is. Let's talk yeah. about that. I, I think that a lot of this has worn off now, but for a long time, that you could find a study that would talk about, oh, there's some health benefits to moderate drinking. I'm glad that most of that's gone away. I can't think of a single benefit to alcohol because mm. it's a toxin, right? It's mm. it's, well, it's ethanol, ethanol, right? Yeah, yeah, it's ethanol. It's well, it's diluted ethanol. Right. If you were to drink ethanol in its straight form, you'd be dead in half an right. hour. So this is alcohol is ethanol. Yeah. So it's diluted ethanol, it, it's, and that's why when you have one, you don't really feel much, and then you have the other. Now it starts to well, it gets to your brain, doesn't it? Yeah. It starts to get to your brain, let alone what it's doing to your organs. Well, that's one of the things I try to tell people. Think about what that, like people who are trying to quit, but they still long for, oh, I wish I could be a moderate drinker and just get that buzz, just that, that one or two beer buzz. But think about what that is. That's your brain not functioning properly. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it does yeah. a number on your brain. I mean, look, the more you have, that's when you end up, you know, slurring your speech, mm -hmm. stagger to the bathroom. 
I mean, it does a number on you, yeah. and it's oh, just, yeah. it just overall, it's obviously one could say obviously it's not healthy. Yeah, you know, um, and it affects so many of your different organs. I would say it affects every organ, mate. It certainly affects your liver. Uh, excess alcohol. Uh, first of all, it affects your gut. Mm-hmm. And, and before we wrap this up, I definitely want to talk about gut. Yeah, and liver health because if you. Uh, there's a doctor I follow called Dr. Robert Lustig. He's got a great mantra. Protect the liver and feed the gut. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, you're destroying, you're destroying your gut enzymes. Uh, alcohol, uh, excess alcohol gets turned. Uh, the liver don't know what to do with it. The liver's got over 500 functions. It's yeah. got enough to do. Sure. So when it gets inundated with all this alcohol, ethanol, diluted ethanol, it don't know what to do with it. So it starts to, it goes, well, let's start it as fat. Mm. That's, where not, that's where alcohol fatty liver comes in. Sure. Right? And then once you start uh, getting a fatty liver, I mean, you've got inflammation, no question. Inflammation... Uh, chronic, then it turns into chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation turns into scar tissue. Scar tissue is psoriasis. And the thing about the liver, you can go, I mean, you can go decades damaging your liver, but not even getting any symptoms from that. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. When we talk about chronic uh, behavior that leads to these lifestyle diseases, one of the frustrations that I have with our societal approach to alcohol is, let's contrast it with smoking for a second. With smoking, you know, we drew a direct line correlation between smoking cigarettes and lung cancer. And that was easy for people to understand. Okay. You, you could put it on a graph and people could understand it. And lung cancer is deadly. And there's like this one-to-one. Now, I know smoking can cause other problems too, most definitely, but, but there's right. this direct correlation. Right. One of the struggles with people understanding that alcohol is damaging in really any, any amount is that there's all these different directions you can go. There's all these different lifestyle diseases, also called metabolic diseases, right? Yeah, and, me- metabolic dysfunction. And that's yeah. because your body is not metabolizing whatever this thing is that you're Giving it mm-hmm. uh, in a in a healthy way, you're overloading it, and it can't metabolize. Is that why they're called metabolic? Well, disease? metabolic dysfunction is anything metabolically going on with you. I mean, high blood pressure, metabolic dysfunction, uh, distended belly, metabolic dysfunction. Um, this three three certain. I mean, um, okay. So when you hypothetically, when you go and have your blood work done. You get an overall, it's not the A and the B all, but you get an overall of what your metabolic health is like. And this is important in your opinion, getting that blood work done. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, when I got onto my journey of being healthy, I, when I go back and look at my blood, my triglycerides, where are your LDLs lie high? Um, I, I never, I've never been on a lifestyle medication. I never seem to be have uh, high blood glucose or high blood pressure. But by looking at these, you can you, you get an overall picture. One. If you're developing a fat, uh, non-alcohol or an alcohol fatty liver, because mm-hmm. sugar causes non-alcohol fatty mm-hmm. liver. If your de- if your liver enzymes are all screwed up, well, then you can see that on blood work. Mm-hmm. You can see if you've got too much blood fat, uh, too much fat in your blood. 
you know, through your triglycerides, uh, your LDL and these other markers like your HDL, let alone your vitamin and mineral panel. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be, to be healthy, ideally you need all your blood work in order. You don't want to be uh, calcium deficient, or magnesium, or creatine deficient. You know, you, you need you need to and the way. You, so, so when I have again a new client, I ask them when they had the blood work done, mm-hmm. and some of them say, "Oh, you know, three year, two years ago, three years ago." And then when they go and have the blood work done, and they see, you know, they're developing uh, uh, fatty liver, uh, uh, non-alcohol fatty liver, in, 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 and or alcohol fatty liver or the, the, the blood panels are all in it, it, I mean it gives them a little wake up call sure you know because you can't you can't maintain that type of you can't maintain that yeah because you know as you know I say the problem with the conventional medical system is you go have, uh, you go to the doctors with symptoms and let's just say you go with high blood glucose you know, is they're instantly going to put you on a, a um, on medication for that. Yeah, and deservedly so. Right. But the thing is, the uh, the the lifestyle medication only suppresses the symptoms. Yeah, it does, does it? nothing for the root cause. That's right. So 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 just just logically think about this. You got this chemical in your body, stopping the symptoms of what not making you feel great. Right. But the root cause is still there, and over time, whether it be years or even decades, it's going to cause, just like my dad, with seven chronic illnesses, yeah. it causes damage to other organs. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, so the idea is, is to, if you've got your blood work, and you're eating healthy, and you're not smoking, I'm going to say, and you're, uh, look, and you're limiting really limiting alcohol mm-hmm. and you're exercising well you can't do more than that yeah and you will be healthy you know I, I got mates who I play soccer with in the 70s yeah. to take care of themselves yeah and there's a lot of people out there at 70 uh, they're dr- getting up the stairs they're dragging themselves up the stairs by the Andrew yeah. it's taking them three minutes to get out of a chair yeah so it's just overall health. Well, your overall health is a testament to how important this is and, and how it can be done right, for I sure. Want, I want to add one more thing to that. Here's another mantra I, I say to myself is, yeah, what do you want your health to be like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? you really got to think about that. Yeah. Well, and I think that that speaks volumes because I think, especially with the American culture, we are such an instant gratification and we have so many tempters right at our fingertips, like you said, at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, ho-hos, I haven't had those since I've been a kid. Well, you know you get it, and you're not going to just eat one. I mean, most of us aren't. Well, yeah. But, but why can. even bring them into your house? So mm-hmm. that instant gratification and that instant satisfaction well, and not thinking, this is one today, but... Who well, knows where it, it leads? Exactly. You're absolutely right, Sherry. And what the problem is, is that instant gratification. People go, what are we having for dinner tonight? Yeah, throw that pizza in. You know? Yeah. People, uh, it's just, it's lunchtime. What do you want to do? Oh, let's go to this drive through mm-hmm. It's like, it's right there. It's like, it, it, they make it so convenient mm-hmm. for you to eat that food. Yeah. And like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's a fact. It's, 
the overconsumption of it will get you in trouble. Yeah. Well, we talk about like big beverage, and there is the big food industry and mm-hmm. the processed food. And oh, that well, that's the broken the worst. system. So yeah. it, you know, it's very, very scary that mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So that our own just food right. industry is setting us up mm-hmm. for and, and diseases, think, and then you add in poisons like alcohol, and right? Well, it's, I mean, and cigarettes. It, look, and again, it's like if you look at people go, ah, well, that won't kill you. Well, no, but <laughs> if you're eating this type of food on a daily basis, your first meal of the day, your second meal of the day, the third meal of the day, and all the snacks in between, it is going to cause you problems. Because sugar is the fundamental cause and the driver of lifestyle disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got to internalise that. And I I would say practically every client of I says to me, first session... I don't eat sugar. So what we do is journal the journal and the track down what they're eating and how much. I said, okay, for this next week, just everything you eat out of a tub, packet, box, carton, wrapper, just look at the ingredients, how much added sugar per serving. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll say, you know, 15 grams of sugar per quarter of a cup. Mm-hmm. Or you might have a half a cup. You've got 30 grams of sugar there. They say, you know... uh, 25 to 30 grams, no more. Because what sugar does, one, it's toxic to the liver. Yeah. It causes, it causes, again, sugar is the fundamental cause. Every blood pressure, everybody goes, oh yeah, too much sodium. No. Your kidneys will handle, and again, I'm getting my information from all these doctors I follow. Yeah. Who have come out of the conventional medicine system and can talk like this. You convention when you go for your when you go to your doctor, conventional doctor, they're not going to have conversations with you like this. Yeah. They're going to give you a pill and send you on the way. That's what they're told to do. Well, I think it's widely accepted now that that the way I would word it is that sugar is the enemy. It's sugar. For is a the long enemy. time, we were told mm-hmm. that fat is the enemy. And yeah, and that's you can right. Have all the sugar. That's you want. right. And that was wrong. That's right. It was in the eighties, late eighties. It was like, oh, fats cause every fats cause everything. Then they come out with all these fat free, you know, fat free, fat free. Again, whether it's sugar free or fat free, there's other stuff in there equally as damaging. Absolutely. So let me tell you why sugar is damaging. Ninety. Out of 90% of deaths, I think it's about that, it's super high, they find what's called insulin resistance. What is insulin resistance? Insulin resistance is when you eat something sweet, whether it's a a, a complex carbohydrate or a, a simple carbohydrate, and processed food is all simple carbohydrates. When you eat sugar in excess, because it's hidden in everything, mm-hmm. you go for the sandwich at one of these well-known sandwich shops, the bread's got loads of sugar sure. in it. Everything's got sugar in it. You know, the, these products are cleverly engineered by food scientists. Mm-hmm. These are not made in a kitchen as a prototype. Um, I like you take uh, the very well-known uh, triangular-shaped chip. It's got over 35 ingredients in, mm-hmm. in that one chip. Yeah. Right? People just not really realize what they're putting down. So when you eat sugar, it causes your blood sugar to rise. Mm -hmm. You're producing way too much insulin 
to to deal with this sugar overload ideally when you eat like a complex carb and you build glucose insulin comes along Insul look at insulin like a key to let the glucose into the liver and the muscle cells but over time fat builds up in there and the fat goes nope you're not coming in here let's have you out of here so the blood sugar goes back into the system mm -hmm. and it causes havoc yeah so you're having to produce more insulin <clears throat> i mean insulin's a great hormone but not when it's in copious amounts yeah copious amounts of insulin when people are spiking the blood sugar all day long because they're eating all these foods insulin causes um uh, hardening of the arteries atherosclerosis and a foundation for plaque to build up yeah sugar on the other hand causes weight gain non-alcohol fatty liver destroys your gut yeah absolutely destroys your gut also causes what my brother had retinopathy loss of eyesight uh, neuropathy nerve damage that's why the, a lot of diabetics, you know, they're having amputation and uh, nephropathy, kidney damage. Mm -hmm. That's why my father had. So this is what sugar does. Yeah. It just screws you up. It screws your metabolism. And the biggest, just one more thing. The biggest thing is people are not aware of how much sugar they're consuming. That's right. They're just not. It's hidden in everything. It's hidden in and everything. And then you layer on top of that people like me who, even when I was a drinker, I maintained a fairly healthy diet when I wasn't drinking. Well, yeah, but I'd get a few pops in me oh, forget and about everything it. goes out the window. Oh, yeah, right out the window. So several times we've hit on the topic of gut health and you've said, I want to come back to this. So mm. let's let's talk about it yeah. now. Tell us what, what what should we know about gut health? Well, gut health is I mean they call the gut the second brain. Yeah, I've heard that. Right. So and it's in total commu communication with your brain and it's also in it has a symbiotic relationship with your immune system. You know, like 80% of your immune system starts in the gut. So logically think about it. If you're chucking a load of things in there not healthy, you, you know, you could cause immune things going on so sugar by and it's the sugar i'm going to say sugar is the primary again it's a fundamental cause of lifestyle disease and it is um so what sugar does to the gut it, 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 along with alcohol uh, and all the unhealthy other things in foods you know too much sodium unhealthy fats in all these processed foods it does a number on the gut i mm. mean if you look at your gut as a, a it's an it's an ecosystem. You got bad back good bacteria, bad bacteria. You've got the acids in there, and it needs nurturing. And back to that mantra: protect the liver and feed the gut. If you protect the liver from excess alcohol mm -hmm. and sugar, and you feed the gut with fibre, because fibre one helps the slows the digestion of carbohydrates, mm -hmm. therefore not spiking the blood sugar. It coats a nice uh, coating of a uh, soluble uh, uh, and uh, non-soluble uh, fibre. It's just really healthy. And so it, how do I explain this? You've got over 60,000 miles of blood vessels, arteries, veins and capillaries. Think about that. Feeding every organ. 
when you eat unhealthy foods and unhealthy, uh, you, you know, sugars and uh, unhealthy fats and too sodium and all the chemicals what are in these things, right? All the blood going through your stomach is going to you. It's going to to you, transporting what it can to your liver, right? And then the rest of it is going all around your body, feeding all your through other those sixty thousand miles yeah. of blood vessels. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. So. You're protecting your liver from alcohol and sugar, mm -hmm. and you're feeding your gut with fiber. Now, that's easier said than done, but when you do, if you feed yourself healthy, and you're not putting all the toxins in, your blood's cleaner. Yeah. Your organs are healthier. Yeah. Your brain's healthier. And again, it's not just what can happen in a year. You've... You start getting in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s. All these lifestyle diseases, like I said, unhealthiest country on the planet. So when you work with folks, you talk about what do you want your life to look like down the road? And then we have to plan for that between now and then. Mm. It's so hard, though, if you're having a rough day or something, to think big picture, right? You think, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a pizza or a microwave mm. burrito. Or, that used to be a big one for me when I was a kid. Mm. Microwave burritos. Those things will kill you. But, but what, you know, how do you, as a, as a life and health coach, how do you help people stay focused on that big picture down the road? What are some of the tools you yeah, use? Yeah, well, it's, first of all, it's letting, I mean, you've got to understand that this is a slow process. Okay. If you look how, whether it's uh, you've got some metabolic disease uh, or you're overweight, it's taken years to get to that. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't wake up one morning with cardiovascular diseases. Some of what's happened over decades. So it's like, look, the best, what's that saying? The, the, the slowly is the best way to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. So what I usually have them done, once they understand that they're eating too much processed food, mm -hmm. they're drinking too many unhealthy processed drinks, mm -hmm. you know, sports drinks, uh, energy drinks, sugary coffee drinks, they're loaded with sugar. Right. Loaded with them. Every time you drink one of them, you're going to spike your blood sugar. Right. And if you're having two or three a day, all day long your blood sugar's spiking. And that's just with a couple of drinks you're yeah. drinking, let alone all the food. It's people walking around, you know, with um, pre-diabetes. They're not getting the symptoms of diabetes, but the pre-diabetes. And when you have pre-diabetes, you're, you're already damaging your organs, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to you. Yeah. So I, make, I love this journaling thing, is to log down, um, you know... Um, like lockdown first of all you have to identify what unhealthy things you're doing you know so like get a drinking too okay. yeah, yeah yeah so you log down you're drinking too you're drinking four glasses of wine a night okay, okay. that's long term that's not gonna it's not gonna help you by any means uh, you're eating this for lunch you're eating that for your snacks so you have to so I have my clients pick one all the things we've identified Pick one of those things. Only one. Yeah. And what we'll do is, or what you'll do is, when you have a craving for uh, your potato chips, oh, right? How do you know me so well, Graham? Oh, <laughs> I've seen them in the back. <laughs> um, when you think and have a craving for that, 
you go into just this one product, and I know you can do it, you're going to substitute it with this healthy snack. Yeah. Whatever that be, a piece of fruit or whatever you There's lots of things you can pick. Sure. So they pick that one, and then... Uh, and and then as each week's go by, you just eliminate this and swap it for something. So now you get two, two, three months down there. And it's not that easy because mm-hmm. the idea of logging too is that when we have this weekly conversation, how did you do? Okay, well, let's say alcohol, for instance. I had a client who drank four glasses of wine every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, so log it down. How many you had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Next time we talk again. And it took her a couple of weeks. Oh, well, I had four again. I had four again. Oh, I had, oh, I had three that day. I had four again. But as the weeks went by, it was like, yeah, I had three. I've not had four this week. But I had three. I've had three most nights of the week. And, and by logging it down like that, after four or five weeks, the client... Can look, they can see their own progress. Yeah. It becomes because, tangible. Exactly, yeah. thank you. It becomes tangible because how do you know if you're doing better? Yeah. I mean, you don't because you're only working on one one thing. Well, like you said, the, the process is slow, so you can't just expect after two or three weeks of making some better lifestyle yeah, decisions no. that you're going to be ready to run no, a marathon. No, 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 no. But I love your approach. If you've got, let's say... You are eating a bunch of processed carbs and you eat a ton of sugary or you drink a ton of sugary drinks and you're consuming too much alcohol. Your, pardon me, your approach is not, let's cut all that out. Oh, it's impossible. Let's do one of these things at a time. It's impossible. Yeah, because we're humans, it turns out. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing, it gets that thing to habits. From the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed, if you just monitor yourself, all you're doing is habits. Everything is a habit. Every single thing. You get up on a... I've got my app. I get up on the morning and put my robe on, go downstairs, have my glass of water with a squeeze of lemon, sit down, uh, check if I've got any work emails in, and then I'll have a coffee. And uh, It's a habit. I don't do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is habit. You come home from work, you do the same habit. Just yeah. check yourself. So it's a matter of identifying the unhealthy habits and one at a time changing them. I, I, Which, again, it's easier said than done. But I'm a big believer in the importance of self-esteem when it comes to things like recovery from alcoholism mm. or recovering an alcoholic relationship. We've got to feel good about ourselves. And when you take the approach you're taking and you take one habit at a time that you work on, you can build one habit on top of another because, hey, I feel look, look at my log of my wine. I'm down... Exactly. exactly. Two glasses a exactly. day. Exactly. So what's the next thing I can tackle? Because I feel good about myself. That's it. You if still, you feel like shit about yourself, well, you're not going to want to tackle You start the next to thing. see, though it's slow, but you start to see your progress, yeah. which is great. And, it's, and it does spur, it spurs people on. It yeah. spurs people on. And um, I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, it's it's about building habits. It's called Habit Stack. And there's a great book out there. Um, it's called... Um, Atomic Habits. Yeah. Have you heard of it? I, I, one of the people in one of our recovery groups talks a lot about oh, it. Oh, it's he's, brilliant. I mean, he it, loves it. It's Again, that's where I'm getting this habit stacking. Yeah. Habit stacking. Um, it's about changing your habits. And it's also about congratulating yourself. Yeah. You know, be that's proud of yourself. Again. That you've yeah, only you made this small, this, this small change. But how wonderful that is, you know. I'm getting somewhere. And when you start to see progress, then I think then it becomes 
a, a perpetual thing. You want to do better. You want to improve on this. And then the more you stop eating this type of food and making your own healthy food, uh, and these hacks to, you know, who wants to come home every night cooking? You know, no one. Yeah. But these hacks to preparing meals, I prepared on a Sunday all my lunches for the week. Yeah. So it literally on the morning before I leave, I always take my lunch with. I take my I take my first meal of the day with me. I don't eat in fast foods or or any of that anymore. Well, you don't want to be making those decisions when you're stressed and you're hungry and you're out of time. By preparing well, that in well, advance, that's another one, yeah. you're going to make good decisions right. because you already made the decision. That's right. And if you leave the house. And then you're at work and it's lunchtime. What are you going to do? Yeah, You're just going to gravitate to what you've always gravitated to. Let's talk about accountability for a minute. I think I see multiple benefits if somebody wants to work with you as a health and wellness coach. One of them is just the sheer knowledge that you've accumulated from all these sources. I mean, rather than me going and reading all these books and, and doing all this research... I can spend time with you and I can learn a lot very quickly. But I feel like there's more. I feel like the there's an accountability piece to being connected to you if I'm a client. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think account well, accountability really is a little bit of fear of letting somebody down. Okay. Right. So, I think anybody trying to make some lifestyle changes, whether it's uh, quitting alcohol or reducing your alcohol or eating healthier and exercise. We have spoke about exercise. Or you don't exercise and you want to exercise. Find a friend or a family member so you can compare notes. Oh, you only had that many glasses? Oh, 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 yeah. oh yeah, you're doing good. I'm still drinking, you know. Yeah. There's, uh, there's that accountability. Yeah. So that when you're reaching, say, for a glass of wine, you go, oh, I've got to check in with Joan, you know. Yeah. I've got to check in with my mate, you know. Yeah. No, I do better than that, because I know he's going to do, yeah. uh, he's doing good. A little you competition. Know? Yeah, a little competition. <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, so I think accountability is big. And again, when I usually wrap up with clients, um, I will say, what's, what's helped you through the process? And accountability is definitely one of them. And then the other one was having uh, blood work done. Yeah. And again, it's not the A-all and the B-all, but it gives you an idea. Are you developing fatty liver? Yeah. Is your kidney function all, you know, is that not going good? Have you got um, high blood sugars? Are you creeping into type 2 diabetes? You don't want type 2 diabetes. You don't want high blood uh, glucose. Because of that insulin thing, you're doing lots of damage. Doing yeah. damage to everything. So you've got to keep that all in check. And if you keep your blood in check and you have some accountability, I think, um, and that for me is, oh, not for me, but pretty much every client has said that has really helped them. Yeah. You know, we, we, we've talked about blood work several times now. I, I think it's fascinating. The traditional way, you know, the, the current uh, healthcare laws that are in existence in this country you can have a blood panel done. That's part of anyone's standard coverage. Yeah, right, right. 
But the way it's done, if you don't know any better, is you go see your doctor for your annual physical, and they order the blood work then, and they say, we'll call you if we see any problems. Right, I know. But if you call ahead and say, hey, I want my blood panel beforehand, so that I can, when I'm meeting with the doctor, right. we can talk about it. Right. You bet, then right. But you have to request that. You do, and I'll tell you Crazy. someone else you have to request, because that's what I always do. I always say, I make my doctor's appointment, and then I say, can you schedule my blood work? Because I like to talk about sure. it. Sure. Because that's what they do. Now, look. Doctors can miss something. They, doctors are busy. Sure. What if they go, oh, I've got to call, you know, I've got to call Joe, and then it just go, maybe Joe's got something going on. Yeah. But here's a big one. And you have to request this. I mean, when you go for your blood work, you should be having a basic metabolic panel, comprehensive metabolic panel, and a lipid panel. That's going to give you the whole gamut there. Now, this one you have to request. It's called an hemoglobin A1C. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it shows your blood sugar levels over a three-month period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unlike if you don't do that, they'll do a glucose test, but who knows what? That's like that's just right now. Yeah, well, it's like in 72-hour period. Okay. There's a big difference between 72 hours and three months. Absolutely. Because what you and and you have to request this, and this what might happen because it happened to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. He said, "Yeah, I went to get. I told him what I wanted and everything, and my doctor said to me." Oh, you don't need an hemoglobin A1C, you're not a type 2 diabetic. Hmm. They'll only give it to you if you're a type 2 diabetic. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think maybe the first time I requested it, I said, well, yeah, but I'd still like to go ahead with the hemoglobin A1C because I want to make sure I'm not moving into that pre-diabetes. Yeah. yeah, because, again, you, don't, you can have pre-diabetes for months, if not years, and if you're not having your blood work done and you're in that pre-diabetes stage, you're already doing mad damage to your organ. Yeah. And you keep that over decades, years and decades, you end up like my father. See, and I was lucky that I have brought my mother's health into the conversation with our doctor. And we've had her for a while. And our actually... We've our, had your mother for a while or the doctor? The doctor. Yeah. Both. But I do get that because of well, you do. my family history. And our health provider, our healthcare provider, um, they do want that. They oh, that's good. Little, Who's your healthcare provider? We use Kaiser. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, I've heard, um, I've heard some good things about Kaiser. They that do want they, those. That they are now. They are now. I says what I've heard that they're now starting because what they don't do is preventative. Mm -hmm. But I've heard that Kaiser have now started to do some type of preventative. They even have it for our kids. Um, oh, some really? blood work for our kids. Oh, wow. After they reach 15. They oh, have to really? Get some. But, you know, when was my blood glucose A1C? Um, it was mid-January. So, the last three months. Yeah, it was so, good. Oh, right after Christmas? Right after it was, it was a little bit elevated when I... When I had done it two years ago, because I did it later in the year. But, you know, just mm. right after those holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Oh. Yeah, it, it's a good, oh. I mean, it's Yeah, a good, so she was not surprised that it was a little bit right. elevated, just because of the time of year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like right at the heels of the Yeah, post, well, I uh, mean, definitely you need to try and keep that. post-Halloween candy discounts and all through, so. Well, there you go, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Halloween, but Thanksgiving, like, but and then nice, into Christmas. But it was it's nice the to have that. Yeah, it was <laughs> nice to have that because then it was a little scary yeah. to think, wow, okay. Well, that's it. And it was a goal to, like, you know, make sure it was better the next time. Try, I do. Or try to bring it down. Yeah. yeah. Those habits. That's all it's about. Mm -hmm. Habits, accountability. 
Well, I've really enjoyed this. Your passion for the topic well, yeah, is I infectious. There's so much to talk about. I know, and I, I don't. I feel we've hardly briefed on it, but I, I hope that some people do get something out of this. I, I, I don't see how they could. Yeah, I only wish that this was. I say this all the time with Sherry because she makes these facial expressions toward me that people just really need to see. I always say, I wish this was TV instead of radio, because then people could have seen you describing the prostate with your fist and the urethra, and the hand motion you made for the penis was hilarious. I only wish people could have seen that. Uh, I have one last question yeah, before yeah. we go. So, I, you know, I don't want to talk out of school here and, and put you in a bad light here, but you've got a couple years on me. And, uh-huh. you know, I think our listeners know that I'm 50 years old. Um, and you're older than me. How much longer are you going to play soccer? Is that well, a goal? Well, it's so I'm, six, I'm turning 65 this well, year. Well, there you go. You and I'm actually, I'm dealing with a meniscus injury now. And it got me depressed because I haven't played since November when I injured this. Mm. I'm back to, I've just bought a, uh, uh, what they call it, rebound net. Yeah. which I've set up in my garage. So I'm back to training. Love it. Um, Love it. Look, I will... So here's my plan with soccer. I'm going to play soccer as long as I can. Yeah. i got mates who were playing well into the 70s. Yeah. That's my goal. And bad injury... And even if I do get injury, I think I'm going to move into the refereeing arena. I love it. We need more of those. Uh, well, that's not only in the state of Colorado, nationwide. Yeah, I know. This that's is right. Yeah. And you'd be one that, as you're running up and down the sidelines, I could call you the C word, and I know you wouldn't. Oh, finish. I wouldn't offend me at all, mate. So that was great. That I might show you. Hey, I might show you a yellow, <laughs> <laughs> and I might just deserve it. <laughs> Well, that's great. Thank you very much for being with us. Oh, today, listen, I, was abs- I mean, I love you guys. I've known you a long time, and we go back a ways, and I appreciate the invite. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's been, we'll have to do it again. I so would love to do it again. And like I said, there's a lot, uh, lot to talk about. M- mainly, is, I mean, about how to do habits, yeah. how to keep moving forward. Uh, because, again, look, one more thing, I'm going to wrap up here. I say, <laughs> I say it to all my clients in the first one. Your health is the most, should be the most important thing in your life. Yeah. And you know what a lot of them say? What's that? My kids are the most important mm. thing. So I always say, well, set a good example to That's your right. kids. Do you want right. your kids? Are you sending your kids out full of sugar on the morning with all these sugary cereals? You know, I, 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 what's their metabolic health going to... Remember, they are now diagnosing kids as young as 10 years of age with non-alcohol fatty liver and obesity. What next? 15-year-olds having heart attacks? It's coming. Well, just think of the example of your experience that we opened the podcast with. Your, your father's declining health has left an impact on you. Sure, you've learned a lot and mm. you've addressed it for from your own personal standpoint, but you know that the things that killed him were preventable. Yeah. And you'll you'll yeah. never not know that. And yeah. so right. when you prioritize your own health, not only does it set a good example, um, but it, it saves a lot of grief for, mm. for your kids. Well, well it, how look, can you be- it saves a lot of grief for you. It saves a lot of grief for your family. Yeah. Well, and how can you be there for your kids if you're unhealthy and unable right, to, you've got to, set a to good be example. involved in their lives? Right. So. And if you're not leading a healthy life, 
well, obviously your kids are not. Yeah. If you're not considering what you're putting in your body, you're certainly not considering what you're feeding your kids. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is no joke. Kids are 10 years of age with non-alcohol fatty liver. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And what do they do? They treat them. Yeah. They, they, they don't... They don't even say, you know, well, I say they don't even say. I went on the diabetes, American Diabetes website. It's a joke. Yeah. It's nothing but a joke. There's no mention of that. I read every freaking thing. No mention that you don't have to be a type 2 diabetic. They talk about how to manage well, your disease. There's no money in curing it. Well, there's only it, money in yeah, medicating the. You follow the money trail for all of this for food, yeah. for the medical. Big farmer, it's all the money trail. Well, and that's why people should trust you because I know exactly what we're paying you to be on this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> your passion is not tied to my degree. <laughs> Thanks again, Graham. Oh, my pleasure. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.